I'm Mother Kay. Welcome to Botswa Podcast. Today we have an honor of meeting a very beautiful soul lady who I really admire, Professor Shilato, aka Kwete. Good morning. Thank you very much, Mother Kay. I would love for you to share your background, like Hore where you grew up, your home village, family, school, stuff like that, just to give us uh, a summary of who Professor Sheila Glow is. So that I really grew up in Serue, and my parents were, I, I was lucky in the sense that my parents were actually some of the first um, uh, public servants in Botswana. We were able to go to school, and I went to St. Joseph's College, Peraspra and Astra, you know, my parents were always my role models. And they used to, you know, especially my father, he was one of the best gender activists that I knew. And he said to me, look, don't let anything get, you you know, affect you just because somebody says you are a woman. Wow. Uh, I miss him. He passed away two years ago. And even two years ago, he kept saying, you know, you can be president of this country or president of the world. And I said, dad, I think at my age now. I'm- <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Beautiful, beautiful way uh, of growing up, and what beautiful parents you did have, and for you to really see them for who they are, and them having given you the opportunities that you do mention. So it's really, really interesting that. Uh, you did take out of the humility of your parents through just being their child. Beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing that. And may dad's uh, soul continue to rest in peace. And we give thanks to him to having championed you from a very young age when you, at a time where, you know, women were thought to really not excel at school, but he didn't allow that. He said, girl, keep going. So we give thanks to him. So thank you very much for sharing. May you please share with us about, you know, your career in nursing, then the transcending to to being a professor or doing them together, being head of UNAIDS, the health minister, all these, this dad, your father did see possibility of, and then they came to pass as a reality. So if you could just, uh, in summary, just share about your career. Okay. Um, you know, and I'm telling you something that you, I don't, very few people know. Um, when I was in St. Joseph's, I was a very, I was a quiet child, but also <laughs> very so uh, I wanted to be a nun. So wow. in, in Form 5, I, you know, during one of the, the breaks, I summoned my parents and told them that, uh, you know, the end of the year, I want to go and join uh, Morene's sisters, you know, the, the sisters of Calvary. Yeah, because my father went, ah! you know, so, but my father was very calm about it. You know, later he said mm. to me, you knew that with your spirit, the way, that, how strong you are, and sometimes how opinionated and headstrong. Chances are, if I had said, if we had said over our dead bodies, 
you would have gone and ahead and been an aunt. <laughs> so what he said to me was, we understand that. But what we want you to, let, let, let's, because you are going to be going to university, we, we, we now pledge that instead of getting government scholarship for you, what we will do is pay for your, for your, for your schooling at university, uh, at university mm. of Botswana. That way, you know, you won't be owing the, the government anything and you can go to the Catholics, you know, maybe after two years and then, you know, they can take you on and you, you, that mm. way you could. So it was well and good. The end of the year, you know, I had passed first class and I was admitted at UB. You got into public health. So because of my love for human beings, I really said to them, I don't want to do bedside nursing or any other for that matter. I want to be working with communities, with people out there, because I think health is made at home. So, and they were very understanding. They said, okay. And I enrolled in uh, courses at Tulane University in public health and also at my university, Dillard. So that when I graduated, it was more a public health degree, you know, mm -hmm. than anything. And it, oh, it really helped me. And with what I had gained, and of course, also working with community, I got another scholarship and right away got admitted to the Catholic University of America for a master's degree in public health. In public oh, wow. health. But by that time, I had also met my husband, Professor Thomas Stowe. And one of those fish, the biggest fish I ever caught. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> fish. I'm trying to write a book about my life with, with him. I, I call it Adventures in Paradise. And we married in December and he said to me, listen, Washington DC and New York are so close. So don't even quit school. You will be a commuting wife until you finish this degree mm. because I see you have like only a year. And I did that. So I finished faster because you were saying, if you translate to New York, you are going to lose your credit. So I became mm. a commuting wife and, you know, finished and then joined him uh, in, in New York. So that that's when in New York, I get there and he says, we had not planned on any children. And he said, we can't have children while we are here. So you might as well enroll in either a PhD or another master's degree. Maybe this time for wow. education, you can go and teach. So I enrolled, I was an ambassador's wife who was also schooling. And it was really great so that when mm. I came back home, I was already equipped with a bachelor's degree in nursing, a master's degree in public health, and a, a master of nursing education. And I, I was uh, 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 you know, hired, uh, recruited and hired at the University of Botswana. So it, it, mm. it became that. I was also coming with that now great knowledge and wanting to now do a lot more at community level, especially on gender issues. And that's really what gave me the, you know, the impetus because there were very few people then focusing on gender issues. Uh, therefore, the, 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 the Nairobi conference on um, the United Nations conference on Nairobi, I was one of the presenters. And indeed I was able to then, you see, it was also around that time that HIV was coming in. And mm. through my lens, I knew that women were going to be mostly affected rather mm. than men. So that mm. I wrote about my predictions and I documented the impact of HIV on women in Botswana. So before I knew it, mm. I was being called all over now the world, all over Southern Africa to say, come and present on this. And I believe 
your dad is really smiling, uh, looking down like, that's my girl, you know, yes. she's never, ever going to stop. Yes. Um, that is really, really beautiful, Jenny, you've, been, you've gone through. And one thing that I've picked out of it is the organic uh, evolution and growth. Um, and the authenticity of it is really what led your journey as much as it was uh, not necessarily planned. Uh, but what I see that you actually mentioned and it comes out very clear is the love of people and the choice to work with communities. Yes. And then everything just uh, snowballed on its own, created its own path for you. And I really, really admire, believe that if human beings were able to be authentic, be successful in terms of achieving those things and happier as we are doing that, because we'll be doing what we love, which for me is what radiates. Yes. Uh, the reason that I do love you the way I do, Prof, is the fact that I didn't even know some of these things as much as I thought <laughs> I read about you, is the fact yes. that you radiate authenticity. You do exactly what you love and you, you are not even apologetic about the state of being happy, finding joy, doing things that have impact. So thank you very much for you. your life because that's exactly what you exude, being you, being you through and through. And in, after sharing all this, what would you say was your greatest memory during the moments of HIV activism? Even though you are still, you are never really going to be separated from being activist for yes. communities, really what is what you are. We will have different subjects for you, but in essence, uh, you are an activist for communities, for their well-being. So I would just like to ask on the subject of HIV AIDS, your, your greatest yeah. moment or memory or something that has stayed in your head. You know, my, my greatest memory, we are, and, and I really cried. As a, I was a minister and I was called to the village of um, Maitengwe to come and open a home-based care center. But during the course of the event, and, you know, I see people, you know, a choir all dressed up and all that, you know, my car, you know, when the minister arrives in the villa, I mean, I was so welcome. It was great. But when the, 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 the chief uh, greeted me, he said to me, you are most welcome. We asked you about six months ago to come and open a home-based care center. But now we don't know what you are asking you to come and open because you have sent ARVs. And the people who should be taken care of at the center are the very, this very choir that is welcome. Oh. Some of them have gone back to Francis Town to work. There were more than this. So now, for <laughs> daycare, we only have a woman and a child who is, mentally, uh, who is mentally retarded. Those are the only two people. So I guess we are saying to you, come and now open a skills center. Or, or I cried. The second yeah. one, that's the third one. <laughs> what? That made, as I said, was really being called to participate in the global, you know, 
Child Forum in Sweden. I mean, this mm -hmm. thing started in 2009 by King Carl Gustav and Queen Sylvia of Sweden. And to just get an invitation to say, come and be one of the speakers on, you know, ensuring that ch children have access to ARDs and be, you know, being a keynote speaker in Sweden. That was really something after my own heart. So I was invited to Sweden. And ever since that time, I've participated in the annual Global Child Forums, uh, even the regional one. So that also you know, something that said to me, if, oh, well, it's more thing, hey, even the royals know me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Your dad. Yes. Your dad did see that in you in your spirit. So actually, as you were sharing this, and I was thinking, you actually fulfilled that part where he wanted you to be international, they being the president and all that. So that was the royals having uh, a knowledge or awareness of what you do. 2021, we find ourselves in another pandemic. And this mm -hmm. one is worldwide is international affected every single one in every corner of the world mm. so i would like to find out what lessons has the pandemic brought for botswana to learn from from your own um observation okay you know i think i'll frame it in a different way to say what should botswana and developing countries have learned from the aids you know, response mm -hmm. that they should have put into the COVID response. Um, and, and that did not happen in a lot of countries. And I think that was really for us our main problem. You know, when COVID started, okay, it hit every country by surprise, indeed. But mm -hmm. we also had machinations that were already in existence. We had resources in existence, namely, people living with HIV who were the activists. We had civil society right there. And countries, some countries, what they did was to simply say, how did we respond to HIV? And put mechanisms, for example, even the task teams were made from AIDS activists, former AIDS activists, who mm. already were in touch with communities and knew how messages can be, uh, you know, to, 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 to be, to get, can be shared with communities. And remember, the COVID message is not as politically incorrect as the AIDS message. So my feeling was, if you were able to talk to communities about sex, you can talk to communities about COVID and be able to really ensure that at community level, a lot is done. My belief has always been that Health is made at family and community level. Hospitals are for repairs. Mm. So what did our leaders do? They started with task forces. And these task forces were made up of technocrats, men in suits, who don't know the reality of what's happening on the ground. Mm. And a lot of these task forces, there were it, they were not multi-sectoral. There mm. would be chief there, yet we know that people listen to chiefs. There would be mm. no young person there, yet we know that if there's going to be a COVID lockdown, you need young people to be the ones to obey and to really make, let others obey. There were no women in the task mm. forces. 
And yet we knew that, you know, a lockdown or it would affect females, whether it's abuse or even lack of resources, it would affect mm. females even more. And so that we saw disaster as a result in a lot of countries, including one. You know, the West says we are locked, going to lock down. And we have a task force made up of technocrats that says we are going to lock down. Mm. You know, they don't know what's happening on the ground. In Botswana, every Botswana has at least three homes. You are locking down, somebody is in town, they need to go to Marake. And you are saying mm. you can't go. The cattle there have no food, the cattle have no water. So literally, we saw a real devastation. And even as the smallest example, when we locked down in Botswana, it was during the time of Pani, Hobapala Pani, mm. something that we know women really, the, the, the economy depends, you know, the, the economy depends on selling Pani for survival. Mm, and even Pani as a relish. So you lock down. If we had involved chiefs from the very beginning, a lot of those chiefs would have said, look, Pani, collecting Pani is a very socially distanced thing. No man or woman shares a tree with another person. So they would have, okay, what we'll do, we'll still have lockdown, but simply say, men and women, in this village, 7 a.m., you all leave to collect Pani. But 4 p.m., be back. That would have worked. As a result, you know, we saw, I mean, I went home, I remember, I saw Pani walking, I mean, on the tarmac, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can imagine then that that kind of, so that we copied rather than ensure that as we copy, we adapt to our own domestic circumstances. So and and really mm -hmm. that was, so that we could have learned a lot. But I'm hoping that now we have learned. But we are learning the hard way in that the economy of a lot of countries is now down, and people no longer, you know, even if you said lockdown now, I, they they just say no, we are, we are not going to do it. And we, sometimes when they're supposed to cooperate, they find ways of going over the system. You say we are not going to have alcohol, they find a way of finding of doing modayakok, you know. If we had involved communities, Modaifo would not be done because the next door neighbor would be doing all of the Modaifo, but there's no time for lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, oh. uh, so that basically, it's really that, and I'm hoping that we never have an epidemic where technocrats are put in charge to police things that are happening at community level. You, that cannot happen. Yes. Yes. Thank yeah. you very much. So what I'm hearing to you saying is, you know, a pandemic is a pandemic. We've already mm -hmm. had those and we've had a success story in terms after learning through. So we should have looked at what we use then and be able to use it as a starting point and be able to add into it as things unfold on the particular one, which is COVID. And mm -hmm. unfortunately we missed on that. But what I'm also hearing you to be saying or what I'm taking out from what you just shared is, then it means, you know, we need these conversations, not as a reaction 
mm-hmm. but as a response, like, you know, in communities, there are certain things that will always happen or we will experience at some point or the other. So a proactive way is let's just have these conversations because well-being, which is health, like you're saying, start with family and then community. Yes. So the Mm. talk on well-being, it's a talk that should just be had because it's diverse so that when we do then have a challenge, now we are just uh, regrouping and be able to have better channels of communication because it's something that has Mm -hmm. already started. Kutumelana, I totally uh, agree with that. And then shortly still on the pandemic, um, in terms of healthcare investment, do you think as a country, we do have uh, enough or the pandemic has actually exposed and we need to look at investing in our healthcare? Um, the, the pandemic has exposed and we need to invest in our, in, in our health care. You know, if you look, there is a state of the world, I mean, state of the nation address that uh, President Masira, he's the very first one um, mm-hmm. that live in the country. And he showed how during the time, like when, the 10 years when I was Minister of Health, our infant mortality rate was like, I think it was 15. But he was literally saying during those, that, that, that period uh, after, our mortality, the infant mortality rate, the under five mortality rate, and the, you know, the, the, the maternal mortality rate, they doubled. So that it, it simply is saying something happened between 2010 and 2020 that actually made our healthcare system regress. It could have been the economic, whatever, but there was all, it was also showing that we had not invested a lot in the health response the way we should have. But, and that actually showed when now the epidemic hit, because for example, I remember when I was a nurse, I, we, we had put out a proposal. I mean, when I was a minister, we had put up a proposal to train 20, intensive care nurses every year. You know, in 10 years time, there would have been about, you know, 200. Uh, yes. We agreed to the, you know, to the other countries, to the Western countries. We'll be having at least 100 intensive care nurses. Absolutely. When that epidemic hit, it found in the country only eight intensive care nurses. So Shame. you can... These had to now train others who have no skills, whatever, to be intensive mm-hmm. care. And I think that's how we've got to be losing, to, to be losing our patients, even in a, you know, a, a situation such as, you know, because in the ultimate, you need nursing care. And of course, you, you know, you also had nurses who were disgruntled, who had not been uh, yes. well-rated, who had no PPEs. You know, the first PPs came too late. So it's it really, you know, we were not prepared. And we're I think that prepared. we have to agree. And even now, we are showing that we are not prepared. You have a vaccine for about 2, 2.5 million people. You know, who could have been vaccinated 
within three or four months. And <laughs> ever, we are seeing Botswana crossing the border to Zimbabwe, to South Africa to get vaccinated. That's yes. not it. It simply means we registered for vaccines too late. And not only that, chances are we were picky as usual. And maybe say we don't want to sign all that. We want, and then of course those are also monitored by everybody else. They would come late. Yet we had been told that the vaccines work in the same way. They are just the same. So the, I mean, it, it does really say, as well as we would say, we need to go to Marakano Right when it comes to it. Yes. Yes. In essence, we are, in essence we were not prepared. No. And we really need to be moving forward to be strategic. Let's meet up and we see what this is because the post effects are here. Nothing yes. is ever going to be the same again. So we, should, so we shouldn't be reactive again. Yeah. When we no, we shouldn't be reactive. We should be ready. And we should be ready. So and my, I asked why I want so many intensive care nurses. And it was like we don't have them. We need them so that when somebody comes, they know when I, you know, on an operation, whether it's for a toe or for the heart, I'm going to meet a well-trained nurse. You know, absolutely. Doctors are fine. They're the ones who are holding up the healthcare system. Once they're mm. through with you cutting up your intestines and all that, they give you to a nurse, and you need somebody who is well prepared for for, for that. And and so that's how well unprepared we are. Hmm. Uh, I will, yeah, uh, because I'm looking at time, I want to get in my, my last question yes. here. And that leads from what you are saying, only eight qualified uh, intensive care nurses during a pandemic, mm. you know, mm. and, you know, the nurses being overwhelmed by mm -hmm. this pandemic that even aware of, don't have much information on, and everybody is scared. So not just the nurses, the communities, but more the health workers. So what do you think about this? The mental health challenges that we are finding ourselves uh, as, a, as a mindfulness coach, I'm seeing and hearing a lot of people talking about the overwhelmment. You know, there is mm. grief all over. Is the grief of life, grief of, it can be grief of work. Uh, it can be grief of what we used to call normal. There's just so much. So I would like you to just in summary and in conclusion, tell us what your thought and what you think we should do regarding mental health. You know, everybody is affected. And mm. most of the health professionals, because you know, where we you are used to where you you can uh, you know put on PPEs and be able to you know attend to somebody, but now here you are, you are coming in, you know, there's a virus, you are attending to somebody, you know, you are showing that compassion, but then when you leave, you now are thinking I could be infected. Not only yes. that, you are scared of going home to go and infect your family. Now, we need that preparedness to be able to say, when you are a nurse or a doctor and you've done that, go and have a halfway house, some rest place where you can stay for a few days 
be able to check your temperatures, your you know, oxygen saturation levels, and then you can go home. Not to be able to go home straight because that's exactly how people were getting the virus. Especially and having somebody talking to them at the at sounding board at the sounding board, <laughs> and I think our government needs to now put more effort into hiring. They are there, social workers are there, mother. Mm. Uh, psychologists are there. They need to be engaged so that they can be able to assist health professionals to assist ordinary human beings to to. to to come to grips with that situation. Where you are a child, you know, somebody of your age, you, 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 you are infected, you don't even know, you go home and you affect your, you infect your older uh, uh, father, your mother, they both die. You know, there's guilt in that. May, may, may I ask that? Those are guilty that you killed your parents, yet you know mm -hmm. this was had nothing to do with you. You need somebody who can be a sounding block. You need psychologists, and I think government should engage them forthwith. They are there. Have an Baba. Yes. Absolutely true. So you are saying, can we, because we are realizing this, you know, mental and emotional well being is very compromised and it's not yes. getting any better. So mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you to be saying is, can we be? Uh, can we not be reactive like we were? Can we just like, no, because we know about it and start having those conversation and strategies. So what do we do to really avoid the mistakes that we seem to be always making of being reactive instead of just responding as we see a situation unfolding? Because we do have people like yourself, we have so many people again in our communities uh, that have the skills. Botswana is really, really rich with skills of skilled people. What do we do now, or what's your suggestion? Yeah, no, we need to engage. We need to engage. I mean, people have said we should. I mean, some of us are ready. You know, the work that I'm doing now, I can be able to do it anyway. So once mm. that engagement comes, and, and I know being my master's degree was also in psychology, I can be able to at least be able to work with health professionals and all that. But you know, you, sometimes you don't want to feel like you are, you are a partner. You need to be able to be told, we need you. And then you see how therefore you come, it's your own country. You can even do some of these things for nothing with just an allowance mm. to help you drive around. So it's really that. You say we need to expand and know that Botswana has resources within the country and outside of the country. And we, you know, we are a small country. We can be able to cover everybody. And we, create, as we say, leave no one behind. And that's what the essence of the SDG3 is all about. Health for everybody, giving compassionate, just, and really true you know, health care to everyone, everywhere. Yes. Thank you. So we've been talking about this painful, beautiful, we started with beauty, the pandemic, it's really not a colorful uh, picture at this point in time. So I would like us to put some sunshine a little bit as we, that is, this is my last question for you. Can you mention a few positive things that are going on in Botswana 
that you think are helping to improve the general life quality or things that you are hopeful of? Like, hmm, okay, all that, but it's there. I think there is hope in this particular thing. Where well, do you see one, our hope? Yes. The one positive thing that I really, that is really great about my country is just, it, 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 is that it is a peaceful place. You know, people do respect <laughs> each other's lives. I've lived in countries where crime is whatever. Yes, in Busona, we, we have petty crime and all that, but, you know, we still love each other. And it's a place mm -hmm. where we say, um, you know, we, we, we can speak freely. Granted, in the recent uh, few days, I've seen police descend on people. But, I mean, those are episodes, and I think we have a leadership that should be able to work it out and yes. have that calmness. So because with that calmness, we are then able to have policies and even the implementation. Granted, it may be slow, but we have some of the best policies in the world. We Amen. just need to say, how do we implement them? And implement them in such yes. a way that we beat everyone everywhere. And that's where we are, so that we can be able to do that. We believe in each other, but I think we need to believe more and more in each other, our ability to be able to, to do, you know, because, you know, with small population, we can still be the best practice for the world. Yes. Thank you very much for that conclusion. Um, and it is uh, beautiful to hear from you. Um, thank you, everybody. That was Professor Sheila Klo. There is just so much. I had so many questions, but due to time, I felt like I couldn't do everything. So the more reason <laughs> to then have another chat with her some other time in the Botswana uh, podcast. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much.